General Nalen is my hero. I think everybody in Knoxville knows about the game maximums. The, fewest, the first game maximums is a team that makes the fewest mistakes wins, key fewest. So in life or anything you do, if, if you don't lose or don't make a mistake, you aren't doing anything. Welcome to Country Road Detours, podcasting from the front porch of the South. Visit us at countryrooddetours.com. Hi, I'm Bob Longmire, the producer. Joining us today is the founder of Pilot Corporation and former University of Tennessee football player, Jim Haslam. Most of you know him as Big Jim. Jim has been a loyal fan of Knoxville for so many years. He and his family have contributed in various ways to help make Knoxville a more fun and vibrant city to live in. You will also hear how the legendary coach, General Nalen, recruited Jim to play for the volunteers. Our guest host, Bill Landry, hosted the Heartland Series, which ran on WBR-TV of Knoxville, Tennessee, from 1984 to 2009. That's 1,900 short episodes and 150 half-hour programs. He also served as co-producer and wrote many of the episodes. Steve Dean was executive producer. And now, let's listen in. This is Country Road Detours. I'm Bill Landry, and we're talking with uh, Jim Haslam. Were you always a leader? <laughs> that's a good one. Well, that's a good question. I guess, uh, uh, you know, when I was in high school, I was a class officer. Uh, I was always, you know, uh, a leader in sports. Uh, when I came to Tennessee, I was captain of the football team, so... Uh, you know, uh, I've been, you know, since I was a teenager, yeah, I've been a, a leader. So you were always picked on the playgrounds early, and you uh, <laughs> well, like I to play I, with the older boys. Yeah, I hope I wasn't ever a bully in that sense, but no. No, I always, uh, you know, when you're growing up, and uh, when I was growing up, sports was a big part of my life, and... Uh, so if you want to, you know, uh, if you get involved in sports, you get involved in leadership. And uh, so, yeah, I've always tried to be tried to be a leader in the right way. Uh, did you ever lose? Oh, gosh, yeah. <laughs> you learn more losing? You learn much more losing than you do winning. And, you know, I mean, General Nalen is my hero. I think everybody in Knoxville knows about the game maximums. The, fewest, the first game maximums is a team that makes the fewest mistakes wins, key fewest. So in life or anything you do, if, if you don't lose or don't make a mistake, you aren't doing anything. You know what I mean? You, you, how many Heartland series did you do? Well, you did some that weren't too good, I guarantee you, right? Yeah, how did you know that? <laughs> well, you don't try to do it, but there, you did hundreds. Now, if every one was good, <laughs> you'd, be, yeah. you'd be insane. You know what I mean? You're going to make mistakes and don't let them get you down. And if you don't make mistakes, you aren't getting anything done. Yeah. So was it more fun or more difficult Building or or attaining the top, you know, in building business, your maybe, business. Well, it, 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 it's uh, 
it's a lot of fun to start with a small business and see it grow into medium-sized business and then a, a larger business. And the, the degrees of difficulty are about the same. In some ways, it's much harder when you get started because you don't have a lot of money, you don't have a lot of people working for you, you don't have all the things going for you you have when your business gets bigger. On the other hand, when your business gets bigger, you have the responsibility of all your team members, all the people working for you. You have a lot more. When you start a business, your responsibility is only to yourself. <laughs> and and when you get bigger, then you have responsibilities to all these different groups of people. The people work for you, the team members, your your customers, the communities you live in, your your whoever uh, are the owners of the company. When you start off and it's just you, it's different. <laughs> you have nobody to blame or nobody. Nobody to blame. to blame or nobody to talk to. Are you Don Corleone? <laughs> Don Corleone. He was the, the godfather. Oh, oh my God, no. Oh, come on. I no. am not the Hey, let me tell you something. Is <laughs> you ever asked that? I'm overrated and all this stuff. Hey, you know Natalie. I can't even tell Natalie what to do. No. <laughs> I, got, I, I got to tell you a funny story, okay? Yeah. You know, everybody talks about, you know, the Haslam's control everything. And so... Bill gets elected mayor, which is in 19, let me go back here, 18, uh, he got elected mayor in 2003. We go to St. John's Church, you know where it is uptown. When we come out of church on Walnut Street, if it rains, there's always this big puddle there. So Bill gets elected mayor. And I said, Bill, I only have one thing you want, want you to do. What's that? And I told him about the puddle. And by the way, on Sunday, we come up Nail and Drive by the post office in the First Baptist Church. There's a light there. And there's nobody ever, there's no traffic then. Why don't we blink that light on Sunday? Seven years go by, that puddle's still there. That light's not blinking. <laughs> That's how much power I have, okay? <laughs> yeah, I guess. But that was... That was, I, was it more, were you more proud of the success of your children than you are of your own? Oh, gosh, yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely. I think, I think any father or mother would be much prouder of his or her children than you would of themselves. We here at Country Road Detour sure would appreciate it if you would check out our Facebook site, like us on there, and check out the stories. And now back to our interview with Bill Landry and Jim Haslam. Do you think of uh, the Knoxville systems and schools and churches that you've helped and the nonprofits? Do you think of of being a part of them, or do you? Well, I would hope that that our family and our company have been supportive of of you can't say all, but the majority of the good causes in town. And you talked about churches. Somebody was coming to uh, come to work at Pilot, and this was years ago, and said, "What kind of town is Knoxville?" And I said, "Well, let's put it this way: you ask me anybody my age, I can tell them." I can tell you where to go to church. And if you think Knoxville's not a church-going town, 
come down Kingston Pike on Sunday or drive out Alcoa Highway by Severe Heights Baptist Church. <laughs> yeah. Knoxville's a church going down, and I think that's, that's, to me, one of the big appeals of it. Knoxville's a basic value town, and uh, I think our, the, when you think about Knoxville and the things we support, uh, you know, <laughs> just think about it. We got, uh, you know, for our city, we have one of the finest symphonies. It's in the black. We have an art museum. It's in the black, beautiful art museum. We have an opera. It's in the black. We have Natalie's East Tennessee Historical Society. That we all work for. we all work for. It's in the black. So we have all these nonprofits that are doing well. You know, I mean, some of these bigger cities, their symphonies have gone under, their art museums are closing. And we have the responsibility to keep those things going. So that, to me, is what makes Knoxville so great. Plus, uh, Natalie's Mountains, as we all refer to them. And, you know, you have the mountains, the lakes. Uh, it's a great place to live. The people are nice. And then, you know, when we think about Knoxville, what other community has a comprehensive statewide university that operates a national lab. Cal Berkeley, UTK. Okay, you got ten, you got the university, you got the lab, you got the headquarters of TVA, the world's biggest power company, and you got the park. 11 million visitors. It's the most visited park. Yellowstone has four or five million. You know, and I th I always thought that that had some. There's something about the the fact that. The TVA, uh, you know, in building the dams and working uh, universally with TWRA and TVA and the sure. WPA and yeah. all those early, the, the collaboration that formed us that had a lot to do with the basic 20th century Tennessee. Yeah, I, yeah, I mean, when TVA came, we, you had that cheap power. They harnessed the lakes to use them for power. They, uh, you know, they... We mitigated, used it for science. Yeah, they mitigated flooding. They used when Oak Ridge came. You had all the science, and in connection with the university, it's it's powerful. So it's sort of like in in building something. You you're you're building blocks and you, and working with different funders or whatever you're doing, but it's a collaboration. Everybody and I works think Tennessee together. Tennessee is. is East Tennessee is successful oh, yeah. because it's grown it, it, up yeah. in this collaboration. Because yeah, yeah. we work together, the lab and the university, or, you know, what they're doing now, they're starting an institute out there, the university at the lab. But when you think about all the stuff we have here, and, you know, people always poor mouth and downplay Knoxville, man, I think we've got a lot to be proud of in this community. I, I bet that pitch has been given by you to a lot of people sure. in your life yeah. to come to Knoxville. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. And the funny thing is, we'll convince people to come to Knoxville, and they'll come kicking and screaming. Their wife will, oh my gosh. And then five years later, hey, we want to transfer you. Oh, if you do, my wife will leave me. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? I mean, it's, uh, they're just all kinds of people. I mean, a Whittle is a good example. Whittle brought a bunch of people to town when the company. Uh, you know, dissolved, I guess the best word, uh, and the headquarters left here. 
there, there are all kinds of widow people. Rob London right here is a great example. Yeah. Bill Rukeyser, you know, there are all kinds of Ken Creed. Uh, you could go on and on of the widow people who stayed here. They could have gone any place they wanted to do, but they stayed here. And there's a lot of other people that we don't hear. Oh, yeah, yeah I'm just, just picking a few off the top there. Mm. are listening to Country Road Detours, Episode 1. The song you're listening to now is called Life is Good by local musician Joe Jackson. To hear more of his music, visit joejacksonguitarist.com. Your father was in World War One. Yeah, my father was actually born on Prince Edward Island, Canada, and in World War One, he was in the Canadian Army, fought in in Europe, and uh, they came back, and his family uh, moved to St. Paul, Minnesota, where he married my mother. Uh, he was in the insurance business for a while, and then when the Depression came, he started working for Studebaker, and uh, which was tough selling cars in the Depression, <laughs> and. Uh, then when World War II started, he went back in the service. And while he was gone, we were living outside of Philadelphia. And I went to high school through my junior year up there. Then he retired. His health was got deteriorating. And uh, uh, we moved to St. Petersburg, Florida. I finished school down there. Was that difficult? As a junior, to, to, to leave your teens and You know, people, people and... all ask me about that. And, you know, my parents said we were moving, so we moved. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, Do you have brothers and sisters? Well, I had two sisters. They were both, well, they're uh, both deceased, but one was five years older and one seven. So one of them was married and the other was, in the, you know, working and about to get married. So. What did you, did you know who General Nealon was? You know, not when I came south, you know, I growing up around Philadelphia and everything and during World War II, I thought, I always wanted to go to West Point. I thought they had a Glenn Davis, Doc Blanchard, ever a storied football oh, program. Yeah. And that's what I thought about then. I went south and, uh, here, excuse me, I'll push that off. Uh, I went south, and uh, you heard about all the great football teams in the south. And when I went to St. Peter's High School, the line coach was a man named Gerald Hendricks. He was from Knoxville, uh, played at Knox High, then went to UT. And he got us interested in Tennessee. And, you know, there were some other schools. Florida recruited me, Clemson, Alabama. But General Nealon... Once you, you got down here, you realized the long shadow General Nealon cast. And uh, people uh, say that. And if you don't never met him, like we know, of course, <laughs> uh, we don't know who the what, what is it about his personality. Well, I tell you what, if he were sitting there where you are interviewing me, I'd be nervous as heck. <laughs> if he walked in this room, everybody would know who he was. He had presence. He was a big man. He was, 
I, he, I never saw him when he wasn't, you know, in practice, the football coaches then wore baseball pants and stuff. In a game, everybody wore a suit. I never saw General Allen without a gray suit on. You know what I mean? He was, that's what he was. And, and he was, he commanded everything. And for example, if we had a meeting today at nine o'clock and there was a blackboard there, and you got there at five, five, five at nine, there'd be about five names that weren't there. You'd walk in and he'd cross Landry off. Well, heck, you're five minutes early. <laughs> you understand me? So his message was, you need to come to these meetings five minutes early. <laughs> oh, I see. He planned everything. I remember one time we were, we were saying it was called the Carolina Inn. We were playing North Carolina over in Chapel Hill. And it was a... Uh, a hotel, it was maybe 10 or 12 floors on, and we had to be in the lobby at a certain time. And he'd said, okay, leave your rooms at, if we had to be in the lobby at, at 12 to go to the stadium or something, leave your rooms a quarter of 12. And everybody looked. He said, oh, you might have to wait on the elevator. <laughs> you understand what I mean? Every little detail. <laughs> it didn't matter. Didn't matter. There are no excuses. No, no excuses. That's, that's what the great ones told yeah, us. Yeah, that's right. That's right. But, uh, that's was it difficult for you to move to Florida for your senior year? Well, I'll put it this way: it it, it was and it wasn't. I uh, I'm 16 years old. I was a little chubby, to be honest, and. <laughs> I played at a real good high school, Lower Marion High School, which is famous. That's where Kobe Bryant played high school basketball. Real good athletic school. We had a good football team. And I'd started when I was both a sophomore, junior, but I was a little chubby. Probably weighed 215, 220. I got down there in Florida playing the heat. I lost a lot of weight, got faster, and got to be a much better football player. And so we had come up, we had another guy that played the other tackle named Otto Frudenberger. He was a good football player. And he and I and our coach, Coach Hendricks, came up and saw Tennessee play Vanderbilt. And uh, Tennessee won. Uh, Hal Littleford ran a punt back for touchdown. Never forget it. Anyhow, so we came up here that weekend. And then I'd been to Clemson and a couple been to Florida. And we were playing basketball one night. And in the third, second half, the coach looked at me and said, General Nealon's over there. Well, I looked over there in the stands. You know, there he was, bigger than life. So I immediately started missing layups. <laughs> but seriously, <laughs> then after the game, he said, uh, he said uh, son, uh, let's get, there's a little place called the Poinsettia Restaurant. Let's get down to the Poinsettia Restaurant and get some dessert. So we went down there, and he said, uh, 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 are you going to be around? Uh, you're obviously going to be here in the morning. Uh, I'd like to meet with your parents, and that's fine. Well, my father, being an old army person, he was—he knew him. He well, he knew his reputation, but he was impressed that with an army person. He, my father, was lieutenant colonel in the army, so this made a difference to him. So mm. he always said, "Now I'm not going to tell you where to go, but, but." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You understand that? Yes. Okay. Yes. So he, he came in, so your father was probably more impressed than you were. Well, my father was, you know, if you have been in the Army, a person who's a flag officer, that's a general, is very impressive. And 
you know what I mean? And my father was impressed. He was a flag officer. He was a general. He knew his story as a football coach. And yes, he was tremendously impressed with him. Okay, when you got to school and like when you started your business, uh-huh. it ha- you had to have had times where you were banging your head against the wall. You were, uh, you know, probably the the bank account wasn't too doing too well, and it didn't you didn't look like you had a lot of hope. How did you get through that? What did you do? I'll put it this way: I wasn't smart enough to know how bad a shape we were in. <laughs> I mean, if somebody would ask me today to do the things we did in business, and I said you're crazy. But I tell you. It's kind of funny. When you start a business, you kind of have blinders on. And I remember one time I was trying to buy a property up in a little town in Virginia. Well, it's not a little town. Blacksburg, where Virginia Tech is. And uh, we were actually going to lease the property. And the guy uh, said, well, uh, uh, you know, you got a financial statement. Well, our financial statement wasn't real good. And he said, well, you know, you're getting this for 10 years. How do I know you're going to pay me? I looked at him and I said, you know, it never occurred to me that we wouldn't pay him and take care of our obligations. And I think when you start in a business, and to do any good, you have to have faith in yourself, not in a cocky or, or, or in a cocky or abrasive way, but saying, hey, if I work hard, I stick to my game plan, I can make it. And I think that's what you do. And you know, I remember. <laughs> so it's that simple? Well, it, it, in some ways it is. You know, everybody tries to complicate things in life. <laughs> Most things are pretty simple. Now, this right here is complicated. That's not simple. Now, that's kind of, look, here how I can. How did you learn how to do uh, Well, I, I got a, somebody on the pilot showed me. Uh, <laughs> look, look, look at this thing here. Right here, it'll show my pulse, my pulse 69. Then I can push another button here. Where is it? There's a picture of my wife there. Hmm. Right there, see? Now, she's good looking, isn't she? Yeah. <laughs> now, that's complicated. I don't understand that. You know, I understand most things are pretty simple. You know what I mean? People try to complicate them. <laughs> I've never seen you angry or ill-humored. Is that... the that's a pretty good asset for a businessman, isn't it? Well, I guess it's probably God-given. Let me tell you a great story. Rick, Bar- Rick, Rick Barnes, you know, we knew Rick. Yeah. Great story. He tells this story about his grandfather who lives in Hickory, North Carolina. He's sitting in his porch rocking. Scott pulls the car up and he said, I'm thinking about moving here. And he said... Uh, I want to know what kind of town it is. Grandpa said, okay. He said, well, I live in a town where everybody's in a bad humor. Nobody keeps their yards neat. Weather's never good. It's just really not a good town. He said, what kind of town is this? Rick said, Rick's father said, same kind of town. A week later, a guy pulls up and said, I've been offered a job here. I'm thinking about moving here, but I live in a town where I really know everybody. Everybody's nice. Everybody goes to church on Sunday. Schools are good. Uh, you know, the people are nice. Everything's good. What kind of town is this? Exactly the same kind of town. The point is, <laughs> yeah. your attitude makes 
what you're doing. And if you think, hey, I'm living in a bad town, or if I would have said, oh my gosh, Natalie, I got to go down and Bill Landry's going to interview me, you know, you know, I dread that. Natalie looked at me and said, hey, you're going down to see Bill Landry. You're going to have a good time. I said, yeah, I am. You know what I'm saying? I mean, so it's all, or I could have come down here and said, you know, I'm busy. Why, why, I got to be somewhere. Why, why, you know, I could be looking at my watch and say, hey, he said this was going to be an hour. We got, oh, it's 9.33. I got 9.33. I got 37 more or 27 <laughs> more minutes of putting up with this. Okay? Yeah. Or I can say, hey, this is fun. Isn't that fun? Okay. I, I, I think Rick's grandfather was right. It's it's how you look at things. I've never seen him change his demeanor. No, no, no. He's he's always upbeat. Always, you know. While we're talking about the coaches, uh, it is they're going to an honor for they're going to do an honor thing for Coach Fulmer. Yeah. Uh-huh. When did you first meet him? Oh gosh, I met Philip when he came here. Was assistant on Johnny Major's staff, which I guess. I'm just guessing, was probably the late, oh, 81, 82. Philip had played football here. I'm going to make a mistake here. Coached at Wichita State, then I think at Vanderbilt, and then came here as the offensive line coach. So I met him in the middle 80s. Oh, he had great linemen, didn't he? Yeah, oh, he's a great offensive line coach. Yeah, he's a good guy, good person. Yeah. And he's doing a really good job as athletic director. Good. What did the president know, and when did he know it? How did you get connected with Howard Baker? Oh, that's a great story. (laughs) Our office was downtown then in what was called the Greater Tennessee Building, which is where where the U.S. courthouse is now. And right across was a, a law firm, Morton, Morton and Lewis, a guy named George Morton. And George and Howard were big buddies. They'd been to law school together. And one day, George came over to my office and said, and said, Howard Baker's coming by. He's thinking about running for the Senate. And would you come over and talk to him? And I said, sure. And... <laughs> So I go over, and Howard was young, and he, you've been around Howard. He's impressive and smart, and you know. And I said, "You thinking about running for the Senate?" And he said, "Yeah, I really am." And there was a senator here in Knoxville named Fred Berry. I don't know if you remember or not. He had Berry Funeral Home. Yeah. He'd been a senator forever here, and I said. You thinking about running against Fred Berry? And he looks at me, I'm thinking about running for the U.S. Senate. It, it was inconceivable to me that anybody I knew could possibly be a United States senator. So we, uh, that was... Uh, that was in the that 60s? Was, that was, let's say it's when he lost, that was in 70, let me see, that was in 64. He lost to Ross Bass. And then in 66, he beat Frank Kledman, a sitting governor. But Howard, did you know Howard very well? A little bit. Well, <laughs> he's up there with General Nealon, okay? D- different kind of way completely. Yeah. Howard was smart, and he would always do what he thought was the right thing for the country. And one. Like McCain. Yeah, 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 in a lot of ways. Uh, in 
let me get this right now. In 19, ooh, when it was, uh, 78, I guess, yes. Howard had been elected in 66, 72. 78, he's running for the last time. I'm his finance chairman. He's the minority leader of the Senate. We get money, it comes out. I look like a hero. Money's coming out, coming in really good. And uh, so Howard... So you were his financial... Finance chairman. As a volunteer. I wasn't working for him, but I was raising the money. And uh, he came out, I'm sure you remember the Panama Canal on that big issue. And Howard came out for the Panama Canal. Well, I remember Natalie and I were down in Florida when it happened. I saw it in the paper. And I, and I got home two or three days later. And checks quit coming in. People started yelling at me. So you remember... <laughs> You remember Rod McMahon, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> was a character. He I was. worked for his wife on t oh. at TVA. <laughs> okay. So anyhow, I called Ron and I said, we got to do something about this. You know, it's just killing us. And he said, well, Howard's going to be in Huntsville this weekend. And come on up there. And you can see him. Come up about 1130. You can have lunch. So I got there about 11.15, and he and Bill Swain and Don Stansberry and Bobby Worthen are playing tennis. So he sit down over there. So I sit down, and uh, they finish tennis, and he comes over. And, you know, Howard was pretty short. Well, I'm six feet now. I was 6'3 then. So I'm sitting. I'm looking down at Howard. And I said, Howard, we got to talk about this Panama Canal thing. It is killing us fundraising. And he says, sit down. Now, he's looking down at me. Give him one point, okay? <laughs> he won the first match. And then I, I, I started talking. He said, <laughs> he said, with all due respect, just a minute, Jim. Yes, sir. He said, uh, uh, every former president of the United States, uh, the current and every former president of the United States, every current and former secretary of state, and all these people are for the Panama Canal deal. And he said, you know, our forefathers that wrote the Constitution, they were really smart. And uh, so they said, we're going to elect the House of Representatives every two years so they can be in close touch with the people. But the senators, <laughs> we're going to elect for every six years so they can take a step back oh. and look what's good for the country. And in their further, and I remember you used these words, infinite wisdom, <laughs> they said the senators are going to be the ones who approve treaties. And what we're doing is best for the country. Now, if it hurts us in fundraising, it hurts us. And if you want to stop raising the money, we'll still be friends going back to Knoxville. If you want to keep raising money, you know my position. Let's have lunch. I said, let's go to lunch. Well, that probably, Howard was going to run for president against, of course, Reagan, George H.W., were a bunch of people in the thing. But that effectively killed his chances of ever being president because of the conservative wing of the party was against that. And, but mm. he thought it was best for the country would do it. Did you meet uh, Ger Gerald Ford? Mm-hmm. Was he uh, a middle of the roader? He was more. He was. He was more middle of the road, like Howard. Uh, President Reagan was more conservative. Uh, George H. W. and and George W. were conservative, in in that same kind of branch. Howard was. Howard was a person. 
if what was going on today, uh, Howard would, uh, if he were Republican leader, he would be trying to get the Democrats on his side, saying good things about him and trying to get it. It was a whole different atmosphere then, you know, Boy. for a while. Lyndon Johnson ran the Democrats, and Dirksen ran the, ran the Republicans in the Senate. Did, did Howard ever tell you that story about Dirksen uh, telling him when he goes and get, he, he was given a med, the, the Medal of America, <laughs> and uh, Dirksen was driving. And Howard, on the way back from the White House of getting that medal from Reagan, he was feeling awful good. And, uh, and Dirksen said to him, he said, Howard, just remember that the number of people that attend your funeral depends largely on the weather. <laughs> <laughs> Dirksen was really funny. I don't know if you remember, but there a guy named George Meany, and he was head of the FLCIO. And labor unions was really, were really strong then. And I was listening to radio one day. And, and they were interviewing Dirksen, and he said, uh, well, Senator Dirksen, uh, uh, George Meany came out and said these, these really, I guess, vile things against Republicans and how they weren't supporting labor and everything. And he said, what do you have to say about that? And Dirksen had this big voice, and he said, well, he said, uh, he said, I like Mr. Meany, he said, and furthermore, Mrs. Dirksen likes Mrs. Meany. So it was a different atmosphere up there. Then. Oh, that, that's pretty sure. <laughs> People that shop at Cas Walker Supermarket, we've got our parking lot's covered with security now. And we got some unkind words for you thieves. You that come in, we're going to have them whoop hell out of you and swear that you jumped on them. Did, did you know Kaz Walker? Oh, gosh, yeah. Now, when did you first meet him and what did you think of all that? Now, there's a good businessman. Well, he was a good businessman in a different time, and he was smart. And he realized that TV was the coming medium. And he had that, well, first of all, he had the radio shows. But then he picked up the TV thing. And he'd get on there in the morning, he said, well, here's a can of Bush's beans. We're selling it for so-and-so. And the white stores is selling it for... 20 cents more. <laughs> you know what I mean? And he'd get up there and, and just go on and on. And, you know, he had some really good musicians. And the so he was a populist, eh? Definitely a populist. Definitely a populist. Like a forerunner. Even. A forerunner of the populist movement. And he was, you know, he, I mean, his stores stay open 24 hours. And I don't know if you remember, one time he had this store in Chapman Highway. And he opened it up. And he dug this big hole, and he buried this guy in the ground. <laughs> he called him Digger O'Dell. Did you hear about that? I heard. And they, they had a radio broadcast from Digger down in the hole. And he picked up business, so. <laughs> Was the guy supposed to be stuck there? <laughs> I guess. And Cat said, you can't go out. Business is too good. And Digger wanted to come out. But that's the kind of stuff he would do. You know what I mean? <laughs> Throw, throwing chickens off the top. 
first oh, story. Oh yeah, he was that. he was he was a good businessman though, and he was, you know, he he had a certain market, and uh, he was he I bet he had eight or ten supermarkets. What do you think is is the the reason you have been successful in your life? You really want to know? Luck. And I'm serious. <laughs> We've been in the right place at the right time. Now let's put it this way. People have fumbled the ball on their own 20-yard line. We've been, uh, uh, we've had the abilities to take that ball and score with it. But people have given us a lot of opportunities. There have been holes in the lines. There, there have been opportunities that we've had that have enabled us to do as well as we have. Now, could we have done it without those opportunities? Maybe. But we've had great opportunities. How, how did growing up in uh, Detroit and connected with Marathon Oil, your father worked for the Studebaker Company, how did that prepare you to run the uh, pilot? <laughs> the thing that prepared me most to run pilot was being a company commander in the Army. <laughs> I, was, uh, I had an interesting Army career. We got an ROTC commission, went to engineer school. In Fort okay, hold a second. Go back from football. Get us from football, your football career, then you went to UT. Yeah. And then you went in the Army? Yeah. yeah it was during the Korean War. You, you got an ROTC Did commission. Did you finish your football career? Yeah, yeah. Graduated from Tennessee. When you graduate, you're commissioned to second lieutenant. So I, I, I stay in the United States, play football. Uh, <laughs> we, uh, we lost the Conoco Marines on Thanksgiving Day. Next day, got orders to go to Korea. That's <laughs> the truth. So I get to Korea. It's January of 54. The armistice has been signed in the summer of 53, but we're still in combat conditions and everything. And I'd been in this company about two or three months, and the uh, uh, the company commander, uh, well, let's see, he he just wasn't doing as good a job as he should have, put it nicely, and the uh, <laughs> the colonel who was the uh, it was an engineer combat group, and he was the head of it, and he came in and said one day, so I'm going to make you company commander, son. Well, there I was, I was 23 years old, and I'm responsible for 150 men. Mm -hmm. I learned more there than anything I've ever done. And the biggest thing I learned was I had two sergeants, one the first sergeant, one a supply sergeant. They were twice as old as I was. I couldn't make without them, but yet they had to respect me. You couldn't what? I couldn't make it without them, but yet they had to respect me. So I had to use them in the right way that they still respected me, but... They were the ones that knew what to do. And that's what you have to do in life or business. You have to find good people who know what they do and give them the parameters and let them do it. But make sure they always respect you and know who is the ultimate boss. And that's what I learned. <laughs> yeah, but you've always been happy. Well... How 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 has that happened? Well, Natalie said I was born that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're listening to Country Road Detours. 
Why didn't Bill get into the business, family business? Well, now, Bill came to work at Pilot when he got out of school. And Bill came to work, I'm going to get these years straight, in, let's see, he started in 80 or 81. He started off running the group of stores. Then when we got in the travel center business, Bill basically did all the location work, finding the the, uh, the stores and everything. And uh, he, uh, uh, he worked for Pilot uh, until 99. So he worked there almost 20 years. So he was on the road a lot. He was on the road a lot. And then he... Uh, we switched responsibilities for Jimmy and Bill a lot. And when, when I was 65, which was the first of uh, January 66, Jimmy became the CEO, Bill became the president. Bill worked there till maybe 2000. Then he went up and worked at Saks. They were getting in the internet business. Then he came uh, back to Knoxville. And about that time we bought the Smokies, he did that. And then he decided to run for mayor. So he worked most of his life for pilot. He, he was, let's put this way, and my, I won't be 100% right here, but he was governor for 10 years, excuse me, for eight years, mayor for seven, probably worked a pilot for 18 or 19. Oh, and you have a daughter. And yeah. Tell us about her. Did she get looked over? No, Anne. Uh, Anne's a wonderful young lady. She is. Uh, uh, she just was not interested in business. She has been very supportive of, of our family and business. Very supportive of the business. She's very active in her church and the community. She's been president of Knoxville Garden Club. She's been what they call senior warden, which is a head lay person at St. John. She's been active in the art museum. She's active in fundraising, but she didn't she didn't want to participate in the business. So that's uh, but she uh, she's led a very uh, resourceful and useful life. Does uh, Natalie run the business as well as the family? <laughs> Natalie runs. Natalie runs me. Natalie. Yeah. Natalie will tell you she is not a business person. Natalie is a a wonderful person. She is a lover of the mountains. She's a lover of the arts. She's a lover of people. She wants to help people. She wants to do all that. She is not a business person. And if she were here, she would say amen to that. But she is very supportive of every anything we, uh, I do personally, other people in our family. She's the first woman to be president of the Knoxville Symphony. She is president of East Tennessee Foundation, East Tennessee Historical Society. She's the first woman to do any of those. Mm -hmm. I'm probably missing something, so if you listen, honey, I apologize. <laughs> well, that's okay. I'm sure she'll straighten this out. And, and oh, you know, she started an introduction to Knoxville, so she's done, she has been as active in the community as any woman I know of. Thank you, Jim. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you. The pleasure talking with Mr. Haslam, Jim Haslam. I'm Bill Landry for Country Road Detours. Thanks for stopping by Country Road Detours.